Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. Today's episode was recorded on October 19th, and it was published originally intended for Patreon only. Um, but during the course of the conversation, I mentioned uh, the whole episode is really about Abraham Hicks. Um, and I mentioned in the course of the conversation that my friend Cammie and I will be attending an Abraham Hicks workshop in Phoenix, Arizona on December 7th. Well, today is December 7th, and we're going to be leaving here in just a few minutes. And I thought, I'll share this with my general uh, listeners, with the general audience. And then when I get back from this Abraham Hicks thing, I'll return and report. How about that? I'll, re- I'll return and report. So uh, enjoy this conversation. Um, and I, I enjoyed recording it. I enjoy the ideas that are in here. And I hope that you enjoy it, too. Oh, welcome back to Infant Nursery Hour. You want someone to preach to? With your host, Glenn Ostland. You want religion, do you? It's sharing time. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. Yeah. You can buy anything in this world. Uh-huh. Abraham is the entity that you... Abraham is the weird part of me. Abraham is the non-physical... I'm glad you said it. (laughs) Everybody else thinks that. So, yeah, this was an interesting experiment for me because it kind of took me back to the old uh, researching church history days. Abraham is the non-physical entity that you use the word. To me, they are non-physical consciousness. So I quiet my mind and I tap into their vibration and then I speak what they say. I won't say that I... I'm really skilled at like putting a puzzle together as far as people go. Esther, this is this is an interesting case study of an individual for sure. She is fascinating to me. It's so exciting to me that people are beginning to understand that they can do it themselves. It's all about self-empowerment. Okay, well, let's go to some of the criticism immediately because the criticism has been well if things are happening in order if you're really attracting everything into your life then when you have cancer you attracted that those are hard questions but everything that everyone is living is coming in response to their vibrational output but most people don't know what they're doing okay even children even children so bad things happen to children children who are innocent children who don't know children who don't know about their vibrational output Well, it's, it's like we're offering a vibration whether we know that we are or not, mm-hmm. and we learn our vibration. I, I hear Abraham say that even when you're in your mother's womb, you're picking up on her vibration. Hey there, Patreon supporters. This is Sharing Time, Episode 70. And uh, today we're going to spend some time with Abraham Hicks and Tom Perry. Because, you know, you can't really have time with Abraham Hicks without time with Tom Perry, I think. I, I think it's a good balance. So um, I think the first thing that I, I want to do on, on today, it's a, it's a panel discussion between my friend Cammy, who is the one that introduced me to Abraham Hicks and Tom. And then Christy Johnson joins us later in the conversation as well. And um, what I wanted to do, uh, I, I, I listened to a, a, one of these YouTube videos of Abraham Hicks where a guy says, is this just my imagination? And she basically says, yeah, 
I mean, who cares if it is or not? What we're asking you to do is to use your imagination because there's power in that, in the way that you contour your thoughts to produce specific feelings. That was really, really impactful to me. And, you know, those of you who've been listening for a long time remember a year or so ago when I got really interested in these cognitive distortions and, uh, you know, these bad thinking processes like catastrophizing or discounting the positive or black and white thinking. And the, the book that I read was called Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns. And he talked about the direct connection between the thoughts that we think and the feelings that we feel. So when I heard that again in this Abraham Hicks thing, and then she went on to, to have this conversation with this guy, the things that she said in it, I, I thought were really profound and really meaningful. So I wanted to have a conversation with, with Tom and Cammy and uh, Christy about it. And I sent them the link and, and uh, they watched it. And Tom said, well, before we do this, I watched this interview be- between uh, Oprah and Esther Hicks. Esther's the one who channels Abraham. He goes, let's talk about that and then see if we talk about the other one. So we did. We talked about the, the Oprah. That's why you heard the Oprah clips at the beginning here. Um, and, um, you know, I'll be honest. It was kind of a frustrating conversation to me because it's, it's not as important to me as it is to Tom whether Esther is a fraud or not. I, I, to me, it's the things that are being said that I find so interesting, and we never really got into that piece of it. There's some interesting conversation that we had for sure. But um, so what I want to do before we get into that interesting conversation, I want to start by doing a kind of interjecting smackdown of sorts with this YouTube video. uh, Is it all in my imagination from uh, from Esther Hicks? And and we tried to do this as a panel, but we didn't get very far in it. So I want to start with that just so that you understand from the beginning why this particular topic is interesting to me and uh, then we'll go to the panel discussion does that sound like a deal does that sound like a pretty good deal i don't know i i hope it's i hope it's a good deal because it's what we're doing today all right thank you for supporting infants on thrones hello abraham great to be in front of you again i'm somewhat prepared though i'm never really prepared for this <laughs> I, I got my notes i started to feel or imagine the vibrational harmony by just coming here and observe people and places align on our trip here to see you again. Was that my imagination or was there some sort of energy taking place when... Well, that's an interesting question and we are so glad you put it into those ridiculous words. Thank you. Because everything we're talking about, in other words, we're not asking you to face the reality. We're asking you to use your imagination. We're asking you to contour your thoughts in order to produce feelings. So now you're saying to us, I started to feel some things and was I just making it up? And we said, who cares? That's really the point of all of this. How do you sort out a reality from all of this anyway? Somebody has to focus it into being. It might as well be you. All right. This is the first place I want to cut in because as much as I love these ideas, and I really do, I, I, I really like listening to Abraham Hicks, but there's still this language 
that she uses that is triggering to me. You know, like anytime there's talk about vibrations, I still just kind of go, eh. even though I, I recognize that we are like <laughs> we are vibrations, like the the cells in our body are vibrating, the thoughts in our heads are these electric synaptic oscillating vibrations. You know, every electron in every atom. You know, we we're this like walking thing of vibration so I, I i get that but it's still there's just something when i hear that that makes me go Ugh. the idea of being a creator of your own reality is still a challenge for me as well but if if we're talking about perceptions uh, you, know, you know we we did that episode earlier this year about anil seth's uh what was it his youtube video about the way that the brain hallucinates our own reality just by the the vibrational <laughs> light waves or sound waves that our brain is interpreting to create a reality. I think that's what she means when she says how uh, you know how can you really understand the reality around you anyway? Someone has to focus it into existence. What what I think that means the only way that I can accept it, I'll put it that way is saying somebody has to be the perceiver and assign meaning to all of the things that are around us that we're able to perceive. So it might as well be you. And what I would add to that, it might as well be done with eyes wide open, recognizing that what we are doing in creating these, this meaning, creating these stories by the way that we interpret vibrations around us, um, and it's only this small frequency of vibrations around us. You know, you remember that Umwelt conversation, that it's just a small fraction of light that we see, sound waves that we hear, etc., uh, etc. Et so there's a lot more out there than we're able to perceive. We haven't evolved to see it. The small fraction that we are perceiving, we create meaning around that. And most of those mental processes are happening on automatic because our body, especially our brain, takes up so much energy. And so we, we, we create these shortcuts, these neural pathways that are habits, habits of focus, habits of attention. And we don't really even think that we're doing it. We don't even really think about it. So I think that's what she's talking about. She says, somebody has to focus this into reality. It might as well be you. But... I just wanted to let you know what I think when I hear those words and, and what it means to me. What snatched my attention on it was that I get your CDs and I listen to them almost every day, if, if not every day. And I felt like, well, I can listen to the CDs from uh, the workshop. And my loving wife, she says, come on, we're going. And... I'm like, okay, okay, I'll go ahead and go. And well, it's interesting that we had the conversation about the lions and the horse right before this conversation. So we accept that we're the horse for you today. <laughs> that you got dragged here kicking and screaming to some extent. And that really is the point that it's a very powerful conversation that we're having because in a world where you are like most humans accustomed to action action makes up your life if you don't factor in energy flow then you don't understand anything that's happening with you you see yeah and see now we're bumping up against it again with this idea of energy flow i i don't really know how 
you go from him saying, you know, my wife kind of dragged me here. I've been getting your materials. I read them. I'm familiar with it. My wife brought me here. I didn't really want to come. And that becomes energy flow. I, it, it must be, it, it must be the influence that we have on each other. And since, since we are energetic beings, we're, we're made out of energy, that that flow, that energy flow, the influence that we have on other people would be what she's talking about here. And if you don't understand the flow of energy in the form of emotions and feelings and, you know, like if you're guilting somebody to, to do something or if you're doing positive reinforcement to try to um, encourage and motivate and influence or maybe even manipulate, all of that might be rolled into this idea of energy flow. I don't know. What do you think? That's what I think. And, 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 and before we jump back in, why is this important? And, and why is this something that's being covered on a podcast that talks about the impact that Mormonism has had on our lives? If, if you understand influences throughout our life, yet you understand the way that Mormonism and the influences of Mormonism has shaped each one of us, has shaped our expectations has shaped our sense of value. I, I think one of the biggest things um, is the way that it, it shapes our sense of self-worth or our sense of love, that there are these conditions that have to be met in order to be worthy, in order to be worth anything. And if you're unworthy, you're worth less. <laughs> you're worth these ideas that um, are an energy flow that we were bombarded with and must have an impact. And so it's, it's worth looking into and going, where, where are there still remnants of that in my own psyche? And what can I do about it? What can I do about it? And now this is a sophisticated conversation that we're having about energy flow and about creating your own reality and about turning thoughts to things and about managing your energy. And we want you to be at the point that Esther wants to be at too. She's not there yet, where she doesn't take action unless the energy is supporting it. Unless there's something that feels really strong, she's not doing it. She doesn't want to do things to please others. She doesn't want to do things because somebody else thinks that she should do them. She wants to do them because they are a vibrational match to the momentum that she's got going and she's being inspired from non-physical to timing and placement and experience that's going to be the optimum experience she's beginning she's been doing it for quite a while but she really means it these days of calling herself a vibrational snob meaning that she wants to make sure that the energy is flowing before she takes the action because if the energy isn't really flowing then the action is puny and paltry and minuscule in comparison and once you've lived the high flying life of being in that sweet spot where you're translating thoughts to things thoughts to things thoughts to things once you do that you cannot go back you see and so that's what you're getting at and that's all right you know i i recognize that many people have different views and and different levels of tolerance for the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the prophet, seer, and revelator, Joseph Smith, <laughs> you know. And um, I've, I've always had this soft spot for him. I really do. And I, I like thinking about Joseph Smith as a kind of 
Esther Hicks um, figure that was was a mystic that was whether he's really doing it or he's pretending to do it he's he's connecting with God with source energy with cosmic wisdom and expressing that to people through his own acts of creativity the Book of Mormon etc and one of the earliest messages of the Mormon Church was very similar to what Esther was just talking about here. That that everybody has their own inspiration from within, and it comes to us in the form of our thoughts and our feelings. We're inspired to do something. And so if, if we do what we feel inspired to do, what she's saying here, it's going to be a more profound action that's taken than if we're doing something and we're expending our energy to create something that someone else wants us to do that we're not really feeling. And I would imagine that every single one of us who has at least questioned, if not fully left the Mormon church, would, would, would be able to identify with this, that there are things that we're asked to do that we don't want to do. Home teaching, ministering, <laughs> you know, and and what what was the experience when we were doing these things? I, I don't remember if Cami talks about this in the conversation that that you're going to be hearing soon. But um, when she left the church, she was experiencing migraine headaches every day, um, well, every Sunday at, at least, and she accredits that to this idea of being asked to do something that she really didn't feel that just wasn't really working for her. And uh, so anyway, I, I think that's what um, Esther is talking about here. And I think it's an important thing to recognize and, and to discuss and to look at um, in ourselves. And so that's what you're getting at. And that's all right. Well, you, you, exactly. Damn. Okay. All right, uh, get out. No, uh, <laughs> you put up with me so far. I'm going to try to stick around here. Uh, Let's see. So you might ask, then why? Hundreds of people in this room, lots of hands up. Why would we call on the one that didn't even really want to be here? <laughs> because there was no resistance in his vibration. Small desire, no resistance. Small desire, some desire. We're not saying small desire. We know that you understand this, that you get it, that you're living it, but you really don't think that you have anything new to bring to this conversation. And you really don't believe that Abraham has anything new to bring to you because you've been listening to the recordings for a while and it's sort of the same old crap, isn't it? <laughs> you create your own reality and it's all about vibration, blah, blah, blah. And there's a vortex over there and it's got all the stuff in it that you want. And you got to get in the receptive mode. And when you do, it'll come. And blah, 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 blah. Please give me my money back. A lot of that's true. <laughs> but what we come for, we'll just tell you what we come here for. We come for the new nugget. We come for the new clarification. We know that in a conversation that's going to take place for about a little over three hours today, that there are going to be some realizations and revelations, revelations constantly, realizations if you're in the receiving mode, where you're going to understand things in a way that you did not understand them before. And so the nugget in life is what you're always looking for. Think about it. Every day, the same old earth rotates on its same old orbit in the same old way. 
Not much new happening in your neighborhood, not really. The sun comes up, this time of the year it feels about like that, and you're going to have about the same thing for breakfast tomorrow that you had today. In other words, for the most part, you live in a platform of life that is pretty stable and pretty consistent. But it's those new experiences that you're reaching for. It's those new experiences where you allow yourself to become the new person that your life has already asked you to be. You know, I think that's probably why I, I still am doing these podcasts, even though, you know, the, so many of the other infants have bowed out and they're like, I'm bored with it. Uh, it's the same old, same old stuff over and over again. And so many listeners have moved on as well. I get it. But to me, there's always these, these new nuggets. There's still little nuggets that come in my conversations with Tom that you're going to be hearing soon. And uh, I don't know. I, I love it. So this is another one of these insights that I really like because you can, you can look at the wor world and go, okay, it's the same thing happening over and over and over again and get bored and you can get despondent and that could lead to depression and feeling of a lack of fulfillment. But if you put yourself in, and I'm, I, I apologize, it's way too easy for me to shift into the second person. Uh, let me keep this in first person so it doesn't sound quite so preachy. When, when I take the time to look for the new nugget in the sea of mundane minutiae, I find that it makes me a happier ex-Mormon. <laughs> Maybe we can put it that way. We know without exception that every single one of you has created a vortex that you have not even begun to fully realize. And that if we can find just one more way of helping you release resistance in just one more way, that you're going to be in a more chronic, steady, receptive mode. And each time you consciously acknowledge that you desire something and then consciously choose thoughts that produce emotions that feel good to you and then consciously realize that you are in the receiving mode and you're following those impulses and then you get to watch the cooperative universe yield to you which produces a more steady feeling of worthiness then we know that you are then finally on the track that you intended to be on when you made the decision to come into this physical experience to begin with where you accept your worthiness and you accept your ability to create wow okay yeah there was a lot in there What's a vortex? What the hell is she talking about with the vortex? This is another one of these tricky things. And the, the best that I've been able to make sense of it is that the, the different choices that you've made, <laughs> here, I'm doing it again. Let's go to the first person. The different choices that I've made in my life have, um, set me up for certain potential outcomes and they, while those outcomes exist in the state of potential where they haven't been realized yet that's really what I think she's talking about with this vortex it's it's um, I've trained myself to become uh, a life coach and if I really want to embrace that and become a life coach and do something that is beneficial to me and beneficial to others, I have to uh, reduce my resistance to it. So any thoughts of self-doubt that I have, um, anything that I like think that it's stupid, um, I, I would have to release that if I want to have 
what I have put in the vortex, quote unquote, this, this desire and this training and, um, etc. if I want to put that to use. I, that's how I interpret what she's saying there. And then, of course, it's, it's all too familiar from the Mormon perspective where you're thinking about the plan of salvation or the plan of happiness or whatever they're calling it these days, the, the idea that there was a pre-existence or a pre-mortal existence and then we came to this earth for certain reasons to get a body, to be tested, whatever, and then we go back. Um, it's a similar worldview that Esther's talking about here, the decision that was made when we were pure positive source energy um, and making a conscious decision to come into this world, to be embodied, uh, to experience, and to, and it's really to create. Um, I'm probably not going to get into it right now, but the, the take that Esther Hicks gives on the plan of salvation and pre-existent, that, that way of viewing the world that's so familiar to me anyway from my years of, of Mormonism, I like her take on it a lot better because it's not that we're here to get a body that then we're resurrected in for the rest of all eternity, and it's not that we are here to be tested to see if we're going to be good or not. It's, it's, <laughs> it's basically, um, she calls it expansion the creative expansion, that that it's this infinite um, creative expansion. And I, I like this idea of eternal, highly evolved, intelligent energy that is just so bored off of its ass. I remember an episode that we did years ago. I think Heather and Jake were on it, maybe Randy. And we were talking about this idea of eternal life. And <laughs> I think Heather posed the question, how long would you need to live forever before you just got bored and Jake's like oh I don't know I mean maybe a hundred years maybe a thousand years but then I just get bored what is there to do I, I think that's if, if, if there's any legitimacy to this idea of immortal intelligence in a highly evolved energetic being or whatever in order to avoid that boredom you keep recycling like what, what do we do for entertainment here we go see movies and the movies are getting more and more immersive with 3d and how how many senses you can have with virtual reality we play these virtual reality games pretty soon it'll be like uh what was that movie with schwarzenegger in the late 90s total recall <laughs> they did a remake of it i didn't see it but where you like have this immersive experience just for the sake of entertainment, just for the sake of um, creating something new that has never been created before, as all of the different particles and atoms, all the energy that, that comes together to form who you are and to give you a choice on how you're going to live your life, it only happens once. It's only happening right now. And you get to be a creator of what that is to a certain degree. Um, I like that better than the and the Mormon plan of salvation thing. And I don't know, it's not that far off from atheism to me either because we're not talking about a, a God that's orchestrating all of this thing. It's the, these individual parts of nature that are doing it. Um, however that is, I don't know. I don't know. Interesting ideas though. I just like the ideas. Let's go back to Abraham. I can see so many things that 
you tell us about. I could see the vibrations. I could see the patterns of the vibrations. I could see the belief systems. But I still have questions about, like, I want to change my belief systems. I want to change them faster. And I know they're changing now, but I want to change them faster. I want to. Well, then look at it this way. Rather than changing beliefs, now, you're really going to like this. You're right. You've got to do one of two things. You've either got to change your belief or you've got to find a new one. You either have to find a belief that matches your desire or you have to stop thinking the belief that doesn't match your desire. And it really is the same process because you can't focus upon what you don't want and what you do want at the same time. So the operative word here is focus, isn't it? But rather than thinking of focusing thought, think for just a little while. We're talking about a day or two or three or four or 30, just a little while, a month really of deciding that you're going to focus your emotions rather than your thoughts, meaning you're going to be aware of your emotions so that when you find an emotion that doesn't feel good, you do your best as early in the recognizing that it doesn't feel good as possible to release the thought, which means think a different thought because you can't just stop thinking. When you say, I'm not going to think about that. You're thinking about that thing that you're not going to think about. So when you say, I'm not going to think about that, you are, you are thinking about it. That's just the way law of attraction works. There's no exclusion. So when you feel a little negative emotion, if rather than saying, I need to change this thought, or I need to bridge this belief. If you would say, I want to find a thought that feels better right now, right now, right now. All right. Let me, let me share with you my experience trying to do this. Because I, I've, I've been trying to do this. I've been trying to catch myself when I'm having these cognitive distortions. And, and it starts by recognizing I'm not feeling good. I, I'm, I'm feeling afraid about something that's going on in my life somewhere. And I start paying attention to the stories that I'm telling myself about what it is that's that's happening and and it helps that I have friends like Cammie around who are well versed in this and, and she helps remind me um, and, we, and we have this conversation but the more we talk about it the more I found that we kind of stay that I stay in that emotion and what has been most helpful to me is when I think about something else and, and it's a little uncomfortable because then it feels like I'm burying my head in the sand. Um, and there's a part of me that's like, no, I don't want to do that. But then there's another part that's like, but I'd rather feel happier right now than something that's outside of my control and that I can recognize this is just an old story that I keep telling myself that's creating these feelings of fear and anxiety and worry and stress. And so let's, let's try to focus on not having those. And it's not easy. It hasn't been easy, but there've been times I've been able to do it. And so it's, there, there's enough of a success rate that I'm like, I want, I want to keep trying. I want to keep trying to develop this muscle. Um, and I've, I've said it before, uh, you know, when, whenever she says law of attraction, I cringe and I just have to substitute, um, confirmation bias in there. And if, if there's something that I've already made up my mind about, it's going to show up. I'm going to see it. Whether it's actually there or not, I'm going to see it. That's what confirmation bias does. And if there are things that would prove me wrong, what I've already made up my mind about, I'm going to turn a blind eye to them. Um, that's just how confirmation bias works. I think that's the same thing as law of attraction 
um, there. And I, I also will say that because there are so many thought patterns that are deeply ingrained in me, and because I have this resistance that says, don't just bury your head in the sand, it makes it hard. And, and she addresses this here, which she says, if you've adapted to not feeling good, if you've just gotten used to it, if you've just accepted that, yeah, you, it's, it's irresponsible to feel good and to bury your head in the sand, then it's not going to work for you. And she suggests some alternative things to try if you want to try something alternative. If you've adapted to not feeling good, then this isn't going to work for you. So then you got to meditate until you discover that you can feel better. Have you ever done something so long that you just think if I have to do this for one more minute, I'm just going to jump off a cliff like watching television these days or listening to more Abraham Hicks, Tom. Am I right, Tom? Yeah, I, I know you were thinking it. I know you were thinking it. You just can't turn it on without a whole plethora of information descending on you that is contrary to the way your inner being sees your world. The way that your inner being sees your world. What's your inner being? What is that? What does that even mean? Um, from listening to enough of her, I'll tell you what she means by it. What she means is that every single one of us is made up of source energy. That's actually what we are. You know, these the, the egoic sense of who we are that is formed by our ability to perceive with our five senses is a result of that source energy, but it's not the whole thing. It's just one result of it, like your heart pumping or your lungs breathing. It's just something that our body does, our brain does. But if you think of yourself as being source energy and you look at the world the way that source energy would or the way that God would or however you want to say it, it's looking at everything from a point of love, of gratitude, of appreciation, dropping judgment, dropping criticism. If the purpose of coming into this physical world is to create whatever it is that we create because we are creators and this is an, an art form or a form of entertainment in some cosmic virtual reality playground that highly intelligent source energy has created for itself. <laughs> Does this sound weird? Yeah, I like it. I like this stuff. Even if it's just a metaphor, I like it because where is it taking me? It's taking me to ask in these times where I'm feeling stress and I'm feeling anxious and I'm feeling worry and I'm feeling upset, what can I do to not feel that way? How could I look at the world through the eyes of source energy, through gratitude, through joy, through love? How can I do that? So that's what she's saying. When you turn on the TV, you're barraged with all of these fear messages that are contrary because source isn't afraid of anything source is this indestructible energy that is all things at once and all of these things are temporary all of these things will pass except for the source energy that makes it up so it's an interesting story i like the story 
That's what she means when she's talking about this stuff here. One of my questions I have here is, how do we become less sensitive about how we think we appear to others? In general, how do we become less sensitive to our social environments? There's something important that we want to say about that. Most of you have let your social environment be the other end of your guidance system. And here's what we mean by this. Did you accept from our very first analogy today about seeking guidance when you don't know where you are? In other words, there has to be a relationship between where you want to go and where you are. That has to be a known quantity, the relationship between where you want to be and where you are. And until it is a known quantity, then you're just drifting around, you're lost. And so when you accept that the emotions that you feel are the indication of that known quantity of where you are and where you want to be. And you realize it's not about time and it's not about distance. It's only about vibrational frequencies. Then you should be able to, with any reasonable amount of attention, hone yourself in on the vibrations that feel good. You are like homing pigeons. You should be able to feel your way home. You should be able to. And home isn't just home where you used to be. Home is that new environment that you've created with your inner being where all that you have become and everything that you want is. Can you let me have it and tell me, am I getting close? <laughs> we'll let you have it. <laughs> so when you realize that it is vibration and that feeling good is what really matters. And then if you're willing to start reaching for thoughts that feel better, your whole countenance here as we are visiting with you is this is hard or I'm not doing it. And while that is the reality that maybe you've been living, it's not the whole reality because sometimes it isn't hard and often you are doing it. And so you just have to decide how you want to feel. But most of all, you've hit upon the most important topic of this day or any other day, especially in this time and space that you are all focused. We're going to answer your question now about what is it that you do? How is it that you become less sensitized to what other people think about you? And there are two ways of going about that. One is to find yourself however you can in the receptive mode or in the receiving mode of your inner being and just hone in on that good feeling signal. That's one way. And of course, that's the way that we recommend, but the other way works too. The other way is don't do that. Care about what others feel and then notice the fluidity with which they feel different things about you at different times. Notice the futility of trying to please them when they don't even really know what they want from you. Notice how fickle they are in what they do want from you. Notice that no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you do for them, no matter how much you stand on your head in order to please them, they still aren't pleased because you're looking for love in all the wrong places. That is not the guidance system. We started today by talking about the guidance system and yet most humans treat that subject like this. Here I stand and I'm somewhere between where I am and what you think I should be and what you think I should be and what you think I should be and you two 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 and you two. So please all of you get together and make the same decision about what you think I should be because when I do what you think I should be, you're happy, but you aren't. And when I do what you think I should be, you're happy, but you aren't. And so you're pretty much driving me crazy because I'm trying to be what you think I should be. And after a little while of doing your level best to be the facilitator, to be the uplifter, to be the one that is always in the right place at the right time, who always makes it better for anyone or everyone. And then to have them not let it be better anyway. There's still more than I need from you. And you didn't do that quite right. And I don't feel good because you did that instead of that. And after a little while, 
if you're wise you come to the awareness that it must not be my job I could not possibly have been born in order to please all of you who want different things from me and everybody else surely there's another guidance system within me surely there's a reasonable guidance system within me who really understands who I am as a spirit who I am as a soul who I am as an energy who I am as an eternal being who I am who I am and what I've come into this physical life experience to be surely there is someone who knows that and we say yes there is there is someone who knows that it's your inner being it's that cadre of non-physicals who are aware of you who know where you are in relationship to where you want to be and who are calling you to the fullness of who you have allowed yourself to become in every moment of every day if you are understanding the emotions within you and if you are understanding what those emotions within you are pointing out then you will never again be lost in a world of others who are wanting lots of different things from you you just have to come to the place where you're making the decision that I want to feel good and it's good that I do feel good and when I do feel good it means I'm in vibrational harmony with who I am and there isn't really anything else to consider you know there's, there's a lot of uh, supernatural woo in there. Would you agree? <laughs> but beneath the surface of it, what do you think about this idea? Is it, is it really wise to place your own sense of happiness, your own sense of self-worth onto any other person's acceptance or rejection of you? And whether it's wise or not, it, how much of... How, how much control do we really have over it? I, I think of myself, I think I've been very, very conditioned from a young age to gain my own sense of worth, to gain my own sense of happiness, to gain my own sense of love from other people, from authority figures, from parents, from friends, wanting to, to do what's right <laughs> let the consequences follow but but holding myself up to others judgment and hoping that I pass mustard muster not mustard muster <laughs> and I, I I love the way that she went through that watch the fluidity with which things change I remember as a kid it, it used to frustrate the hell out of me when it was Saturday and Saturday was like the one day a week that my dad was home from work that wasn't church because you know Sunday was you know you couldn't play on Sunday so Saturday was the day to play and I wanted to play but it was always chores it was always doing weeds and I could never get like a firm commitment of okay at what point can we be done it's like, well, I want you to do this and then come and check back with me. And so I do it and then it always, okay, now there's this. And I do it and okay, now there's this. You know, it's like, I, I don't know if you learned how to swim this way where your parent is in the pool and they go, hey, come on, I'll catch you. And you jump in and they start backing up and they're always a couple inches away from you. And they're like, oh, see, I taught you how to swim. Yeah, it scared the shit out of me too <laughs> and, and made me not trust you. And with the work stuff made me think that nothing that I ever do is going to be enough. That There's always going to be something more. And th this idea of, uh, well, you don't want to be content because contentment is a way that the devil soothes you into complacency and then he's got you. Oh, 
man, the stories that surrounded us, that surrounded me, that, that put me into a place where I didn't even think about it. I didn't even know that there was a, a choice. I didn't know there was an option. I thought it was just selfish to go, okay, well, I'm going to be the source of my own contentment. I'm going to be the source of my own happiness by really listening to what it is that's going to make me happy and doing it and being honest with people when they're asking me to do something that I really don't want to do it. I feel a sense of obligation. I do it begrudgingly and then I resent them and then there's just like all kinds of shit that goes along with it instead of just being able to be honest. Say, so, you know, I'm, I'm really not feeling it right now or whatever. Now, these are, these are more ideas <laughs> than they are things that I've put into practice, but it, it's like recognition and realization that comes from listening, yes, Tom, to Abraham Hicks. So, how's that for an introduction? Almost 45 minutes worth of introduction before we get to the panel discussion. But you know what? I think it was worth it because it's something that I wanted to do, <laughs> something that I feel good about and I enjoy sharing. So I hope you enjoyed listening to it as well. And now, panel discussion time. Booyah. So, th yeah, this was an interesting experiment for me because it kind of took me back to the old... Uh, researching church history days really <laughs> yeah where I, I, I was going i, I mean i go down did, these did you go holes. back into the microfiche <laughs> yeah that's right i went through the rolodex and was looking up names and dates and stuff no but uh it was i mean i i've done this I, I don't know if i've told you guys this before but i've actually i used to research the hell out of mlms and certain individuals that were running the mlms uh, because I used to get recruited into these things all the time. Yeah. And it, this was even prior, I think it was prior. Yeah. Well, it was prior and after my crisis of faith, but I would, I would find out these individuals and then I'd kind of run like a, a PI background check on them. And I would try to find out, you know, if there was any shadows or skeletons in the closet, trying to find out if they're credible or whatever. And it's, it sounds very Mike Norton esque. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of my friends and family, when they would get involved with this stuff, I was sort of this, uh, I don't know, objective arbiter who would actually like find out all these little things and then bring them to light. And <laughs> I so they trusted you until you did that with the church. And then they're like, that's oh. right. <laughs> that's where he went off the rails. Yeah. Yep. I, I was, I had all kinds of credibility until I went down that path. But uh, yeah, one, one guy in particular, his name is Gary Whiting. I, I did so much research on this guy and it was, it was tough to find some of the, some of the dirt on this guy. But when I did like all kinds of problems and red flags started to come up. And then when I started to explain to some of my friends and associates who had already started to invest hundreds or thousands of dollars in, in his uh, scheme, uh, it was, it was obviously it was too late then, but I was like the only high, the only holdout. I was the only one that hadn't invested, but I'd gone to three different meetings, listened to the guy. I even talked to him individually afterwards and asked him point blank questions like, so can you tell me about this, uh, this time in your past where you spent time in prison? for uh, financial misgivings or whatever. And he's like, oh, that, that was a complete misunderstanding and it shouldn't even be on my record. How did you even find out about that anyways? And all this other nonsense. 
and, and it was right around then I was like, yeah, this is a problem. And, and I hate to be the, I told you so guy, but it was like a year later or something like that. The whole financial scam just fell apart and all, all of my friends and all these individuals, they, they were super upset about it, that the whole thing went belly up and I just couldn't quite wipe the grin off my face <laughs> saying, what did I say? I was, I was telling you guys this before you got to this point or this place and you, and you just had to do the, well, this, this is a for sure. If I invest this money, they're telling me that the turnaround is going to be X amount of dollars. And that's all I can think about. You know, they just got caught up in it and the, I don't know. Yeah. It was disturbing. Anyway. Yeah. This going down this Esther thing reminded me of all this stuff. Cause I haven't done it for probably two or three years. Well, I do, I do see a grin on your face. So I'm really curious to find out uh, what dirt you <laughs> well, got. I, I, I won't say that I am really skilled at like putting a puzzle together as far as people goes. But Esther, this is, this is an interesting case study of an individual for sure. She is fascinating to me. And her, obviously her husband, they're kind of uh, quite the duo. That's fascinating to me. I think it's fascinating that she grew up in Layton. Was it Layton? Well, she, yeah, she, she grew up in Layton and then moved to California at some point. But she, I, I, I listened to one of the things where she was talking about the place where she grew up and how uh, the, the people there were quite religious, but very hypocritical. And she would go to yeah. the dances and she would go to yeah. church and hear the messages and stuff like that. So, like, she, she's tasted Mormonism. And she, yeah, she, she, sure, she certainly doesn't talk about Mormonism or really religion much at all, except for that, you know, the problematic things that she sees or has experienced or whatever. Um, who was it? There was an interview that I, I didn't watch or listen to all of it, but she does mention uh, a fundamentalist religion that she was, that she has experienced, but she never mm. talks about Mormons specifically. Yeah. So it's yeah. almost like she's hiding that, 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 you know, the Utah roots or whatever, but hiding. Yeah. Hiding. Or, Lying or by omission. Or just trying to be tactful and like, it's not important. Tactful. I don't even need to mention their name. Right. Cause it's not relevant. Right. It's not. Right. Why is it no. Relevant? Why would it be relevant? Why would it be relevant? Yeah. Right. I mean, that's the kind of background she's, she's overdoing all kinds of other stuff, but she's going to leave that part. <laughs> out of it especially especially jerry's uh mlm you know background which is hilarious to amway me. yeah okay the, the good old classic mlm you know the mlms to they kind of started it all back in the 80s with the amway and he made i guess a crap ton of money <sighs> all right so should i kind of just get going yeah all right yeah chris christy will join when she can Cammy, do you want do you want to just say hello? This is your first time being on. Yeah, hello. I already talked to Tom. Said hi to him. Yeah, That's Cammy and I have a deal that if there's anything that she wants edited out, we just I just edit it out. Oh, that's a good deal. It took yeah. me a it took me a long time to get Glenn on that Whatever. deal with me. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have special powers. She does have special powers. That's true. That's cool. 
All right, go ahead, Tom. Jump in, man. All right. Okay. So she first started, well, how do, how do I frame this? All right, picture a person who married an individual of great wealth and great influence and great charisma. Someone who was, a, for all intents and purposes, was a motivational speaker, along with had a strong sales background um, and was involved with Amway, multi-level marketing and all that stuff and had <laughs> he was a sales guy not a motivational speaker right well but the thing is is with especially with amway you would go around as a salesman or at the top of the pyramid or however he worked and he would speak and do workshops and uh, recruit okay. and all that stuff so it it's one I and see. the same i guess anyway so she gets brought into this world and then he starts to lean on her to become part of the world by doing her own thing, uh, getting her involved. And then I guess it's, it, they getting her involved of, in Amway. Well, in the business or to become a public speaker or whatever. I I'm filling in the blanks here. I don't know these things for sure, but what I can say for sure is that as far back as 86 is that's when Jerry and Esther decided they were going to start this channeling of Abraham thing. Yeah. And, but, but what's really important though, is there is a lot of background or context to this where they got, they were heavily into self-help books. Uh, they were even in that Oprah interview, uh -huh. they, they talk about this Theo, uh -huh. Sheila Gillette wrote about this, uh, group of archangels named Theo uh -huh. and channeling the wisdom of that and then they're, she, they're in phoenix right i don't know where they are well, I, I think in, in the oprah interview she mentioned that they were in phoenix in phoenix okay all good things come from arizona right and then uh, they talk about the seth teachings and now the, yeah. the seth teachings and this is what you mentioned yeah. sent me this 10 hour thing which i only listened to maybe 46 seconds i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> which, which was a lot for me because I think that was even a robot voice. That yeah, was like yeah, it's, it's, a dictation. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. But in the Oprah interview, Esther actually opens up talking about how the Seth teachings and essentially, do you want to give what the Seth teachings are since you're way more familiar with what I, they are? I came across the Seth teachings. Um, it, it's this, this book called Seth Speaks. And I think it, you know, like you said, it's 10 hours. It includes maybe multiple books that Jane Roberts wrote. Um, and I think it was like the late 60s, early 70s, Jane Roberts would go into trance and she would channel, quote unquote, however, whatever, whatever you think about that. Um, she would dictate, she'd put her head into a metaphorical hat and her husband, <laughs> Oliver Cowdery, would write down the, what she spoke. Um, right. I think her husband was Rob or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, and so they published these books and, and the Seth personality I see. I I find it really entertaining and really interesting. Sure. It, he, like like in the beginning, it's funny because he's like, I don't approve of the term ghost, but yeah. um, you could say that I've that this is book has been ghost written or something. You know, right? You, you hear like in in the spirit world, a boom, boom, kind of thing. Anyway, um, yeah. So he's just talking about uh, basically that there's multiple lives that you know we're spirit beings that. Um, Right now we're, 
we've got bodies, but you know, I, I mean, he just, he, he just creates this whole, um, what would you call it? Like, like, like J.R. Tolkien or, uh, George Lucas creating the, creating this, this universe, this, this fictional universe that he exists in. And then he talks about the rules and the laws, like what happens after you die? Sure. How do people like hang out with each other? How do you have friends? What, how do you communicate? What, what do yeah. things look like? Um, you want to say something, Cammie? No, I'm just listening. Okay. Yeah. You want off mute. Once. Um, so yeah, so, so that's the Seth speak stuff. And I think one of the basic, uh, premises of Seth speaks is that, your thoughts dictate your reality and that you're able to create a reality and with, with your, with your thoughts or from your thoughts. And, um, that's one of the main teachings that, uh, Esther and Jerry continued and, and did and put into kind of their own version of the Seth stuff with, with Abraham once. But yeah, but, but she, she explains in the Oprah interview how she was like really creeped out by the whole idea Seth and Jerry really liked it and he was reading it, but he read it for like a year before she was ever even comfortable enough to dip her toe into it. And then they started going and talking to psychics and she started meditating. And at one point she got her own, you know, felt this vibration or whatever it was, these blocks of thought that she gets and they identified her uh, themselves as Abraham to her. Well, yeah, she, she, and she speaks in, in particular about this Jane Roberts, who's the author yeah. of all these and, She talks about when she found out that Jane Roberts had passed away, it felt like a sister had passed away. Oh, that's how, that's how interconnected these teachings were, at least with Esther. Um, And obviously the law of attraction and all this stuff has its roots and branched out into all other authors and works that they were all deeply, deeply enmeshed. Oh yeah. And, and it didn't start with Seth. I mean, there, there, there have been a cult kind of right. You know, like Mormon expression did uh, an awesome episode on um, early American occultism or something like that. It was a book written by Mitch Horowitz. That was one of the first Mormon expression episodes I listened to. And I, when I got that audio book, I just loved it. And it details mm. all of these different mystics in the history of the United States. Um, and Joseph Smith is mentioned, they, like Mormons get a little shout out with Joseph Smith being <laughs> lumped in uh, as these mystics that have this channel writing from beyond kind of thing. Um, but I think Edgar Casey is probably the biggest one if I'm remembering right, but um, Adam Lavodka, I don't I there's, there's different names, I don't, I don't remember them all, but Seth, the Seth stuff from Jane Roberts at the end of the 60s, early 70s, um, fueled a lot of where people were going anyway with new age beliefs and the dawning of the age of Aquarius. (laughs) So in the Oprah interview is extremely fascinating to me. It's the closest thing that I, that I had either watched or listened of Esther Hicks, where she, to me, parted the curtain a little bit here and there. If you, if you pay attention, there are certain things that she mentions or talks about where I was like, Oh, there's a peek behind the curtain for the wizard right there. Now, uh, did you did you bring some time-stamped examples so we oh. can see what it is that you're talking about? No, I forgot. But I will I will get them to you All afterwards. Right. Okay. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I remember to mention which ones that I'm talking about, too. Yeah. Okay. So um, oh, I lost my train of thought there. But but the the I mean the reason that we're recording this tonight there was there was one that I found where she just admits right at the beginning of it that. 
yeah, it, this is your, we're asking you to use your imagination for this. Yeah. This is an exercise in imagination. That's what we're doing. We're asking you to uh, control your thoughts, contour your thoughts in the creation of specific emotions. And that's an act of imagination. Well, if, if that's what she said, I took it as more of she was using that as like a, a form of metaphor or over explaining several different concepts to sort of capture all this mess of information that she's working with. I mean, that's a lot of the information that I get from her too, is that she says a lot of things and you kind of have to, I don't know, be paying attention to certain aspects of I don't know, uh, wisdom, I guess, that she's pulling from. You're like, oh, okay. Well, th think, think about in that Oprah interview when, when she was saying, Oprah, you do what I do too. And I thought, right. that's what I said to Tom. Tom, you're doing right. what she does too. I'm doing what she does too. Because she says, you feel impulses and you act on them. You speak from them. She's yeah, saying the, the impulses come from this whatever energetic pure energetic thing that she's calling Abraham that everybody has access to as right. we're all source energy and we all have connection to source energy. We all uh -huh. have these impulses and instincts from, from source energy. And but we don't. Well, well, but stop for a second because <laughs> what she's saying is what I'm doing isn't any different from what any of the rest of you do. Uh -huh. I'm just telling you things that I think in my head. <laughs> See, but you're reading between the lines. No, the lines, I'm not. I'm saying this is what she says. No, I, I, that's, not, that's not the message I'm getting. The message I'm getting is everybody has the ability to do what she's doing. If you do it a certain way, she, she was able to tap into it. And you she's, can too. If you do it the certain uh, way. And if you no, can't no, do no. it, but if you can't do it the same way <laughs> I'm doing it, keep working at it because eventually you'll get there. She's not what? trying to sell a method of here's how to do it. That's, that's, that's the message I get. Definitely the message I get. Well, what, what she's saying is you're all, you're all, all doing it. You're, you're always doing it. And whether, uh, whether, you, whether you recognize that you're doing it or it's important to you to think of, you, to think of your impulses as coming from this source or not, it doesn't matter. She's saying, I'm telling you the things that I'm thinking. Uh-huh. That's not what she's saying. That's not what I'm, that's not what I'm hearing. That's not, I mean, that maybe that's what you're hearing or getting, but that's not what, that's not what I'm getting at all. It's, she has this ability to be able to tune into this other consciousness that we all have. Yes. And, and that's why she specifically states how she meditates, clears her mind and Esther's still there. Yeah. She's just a passenger. She's just kind of witnessing all this happening. But now she's not actually speaking from Esther. She's speaking from this collective consciousness crap. And yeah, it's like the still small voice. It's yes, like the gift of the Holy like Ghost. That. Yes, it is just, like the still small voice. She, she tunes into this thing that it isn't a voice. It isn't words. It's just thoughts and impressions. And if she focuses, yeah. she, that's, this is what she says. Yeah. This, is what, this is how she describes it. Should we take a frustration break and ask Cammie what she thinks? Sure. Yes. You know, when I first started listening to Esther Hicks or Abraham, I wasn't sure what I thought about her. I had a difficult time with her at first. And I heard her a long time ago, back when I was still a member of the church. 
And it was interesting to me. It was intriguing to me. So I continued to kind of search things about her and I would listen to her. And then I, I did hear that Oprah interview that she did. And I, I really liked it, you know, and I, I like, I like the secret. Um, and Rhonda Burns, who wrote The Secret, she also wrote a bunch of other books. And there's another book that she wrote that I read that's called Magic. And I just started doing some, it's, it's a daily thing, a daily practice. And I started doing that. And things would happen. It was really cool. I really enjoyed it. And it, it started changing my life. And for me, the most important message is to really see what, what I'm feeling. Really to know how I'm feeling is the main thing. Yeah, and 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 to to me, like one one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you, Tom, is we we talked about that book, Feeling Good, by Dr. David Burns, and the connection that he makes between the thoughts that you think and the feelings that you feel, and that you have control over the thoughts that you think. So therefore, you have control over the feelings that you feel. Uh, that and and that's the same message that you're getting from Esther Hicks, uh, but it's in this different packaging. But but that's really what she's saying. Mm, to me yeah. that's 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 the biggest takeaway that i get when i listen to that and when, and when she talks to a lot of people is is if if there's something that you want and you're not focusing on the things that you need to do to get it but instead you're focusing on the things that are in your way then you're going to stay fixated on the things that are in your way and you're never going to get to the things that you want that, right that's and, and she describes that as the law of attraction which I well, redefine as confirmation bias, which we talked about. Right, before. right, right. Um, oh, go ahead. No, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but you have to understand that, yes, I am abnormally fixated on the packaging or yeah. the delivery system because I do think that it's problematic. And I did finish the David Burns book, by the way, which is really good. The last chapter, though, hmm. uh, maybe, maybe it just wasn't more relevant to me. Was he channeling? No, he just, he breaks down all the uh, medications. No, the wrong answer. The right answer was yes. He's We're all channeling, no. Tom. Yeah, we're all we're channeling. We're all channeling. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. For me, I really take the things that I like about each and every subject. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe a hundred percent on everything, anything. And I never will say I believe a hundred percent on anything again because of being a member of the church. Sure. I take bits and pieces of the things that I like and I apply them to my life. The things that make me feel good, that help me in my life. Would that include like other religions and other, I mean, I don't know, pretty much just everything out there? Yeah. I mean, Eastern religions hmm. like Taoism, Buddhism. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, th I think that's, I think that's healthy and I think that's smart, but I also think that it's incredibly valuable or at least maybe not valuable, but important to pay attention to the packaging um, because you don't, and I'm speaking for myself here. It's important for me because if I don't understand the method or the background of the, or the context that the information's coming at me, I have a tendency to swallow information rather than cherry pick it out or to be able to parse it out like, the two of you are able to much better, I think, than I do. Because like even the David Burns book, I'm listening to it and I can actually feel file cabinets in my brain being filled up rather than me saying, I like that. I don't necessarily like that. And then it's always afterwards where I start to think about it and I'm like, okay, that part's not necessarily relevant. That's, it. That's if I'm 
spending the time, you know, going through it again. But uh, the packaging is incredibly important because uh, I, I think that I am one of those susceptible people that can be manipulated, uh, taken in. And it's, it's alarming to me to see uh, when I look at Esther Hicks, how many people essentially follow her around like groupies, uh, pay for every workshop, go on these cruises. And these, these are expensive trips and workshops. And she has a lot of merch and a lot of stuff for sale. And she, she's a multimillionaire. So do you think these people who are paying this amount of money for doing this are being manipulated into it? And they're like, they're, they're being duped as opposed to they really find value and they want to interact with her and, you know, hope, because when she does these workshops, she has this thing called the hot seat yep. and the people that are in there, like will raise their hands to be called up to, to right. be put in the hot seat so that they can pose a question to her and have a conversation with her. Right. And that's, that's a huge appeal for a lot of people. They want to be yeah. able to have this direct experience with her, but they're, she's, they're she's doing a goddamn it. celebrity. Yeah. But I mean, people, people are going to pay a lot of money to go on a cruise that's just as expensive without talking to her. You know, like what, why yeah. is it? That, eh, what? Not necessarily. I think, I mean, she, she's a draw like any, any other celebrity. Right. But so, but so what is the cost of a cruise to be with Abraham Hicks versus just the cost of a cruise? Big. Some people wouldn't go on the cruise if there wasn't Esther Hicks. Some people will go to wherever she goes. Because she she is this guru, this cult of personality. She is this draw. I mean, I don't know. Am I am I speaking out of my ass here? That's. I mean, it's pretty apparent to me. I mean, there's there's there's. No, I, I see your point. I there's do. hundreds of YouTube clips that alarm me of these people talking about their experiences of of finally getting in the hot seat or this one individual on YouTube said that he's been in the hot seat four different times and his life changed each and every time. It's like, Holy crap. I mean, these people are investing not just money, but their time, like just so much into this. And all this really is, is a lot of just convoluted regurgitated self-help law of attraction, all the stuff that you can get from other things places and other people and other things and esther's just pushing it out in this really complicated and messy packaging and people are swallowing it whole why, why is she successful because people buy into what she's saying why that she's like this chosen individual who can channel the consciousness of the universe and they and they they either want to be able to do it themselves or they buy into what she's saying and they want more and more and more and more so they have this hunger or thirst for it and they just want to keep feeding it keep feeding it keep feeding it not realizing that they really only need like what you guys have done just enjoy some of the free information and audio and youtube clips out there and then go and move on rather than become this quote follower or you know cultist by jumping in and just investing so much time and energy it's 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 alarming to me that there's so many individuals that i that i've come across that i mean they fit all of the attributes of a cult follower for her it's it's scary i think that some people really want a sense of community and that's, i think that's definitely that's part of it yeah sense of community yeah 
you know, without having an organized religion somewhere where you go every Sunday and see people once a week or twice a week, it's, it's a difficult thing as an adult to meet other adults. And I think for them, that is their sense of community. Yeah. But I also think that they, oh, this is this is so weird because I just read this article out of the daily universe only because the paper was available when I was at lunch and I read where president Nelson just did this was a double or triple down on the LGBT thing. Right. And what was alarming to me is it was essentially these students that had attended this, whatever it was, the like a devotional devo- or something. Devotional, yeah. Whatever it was at BYU. And they all talked about how they were so honored and touched to just be in the presence of the prophet of the Lord. And, and they all stood up when he came in the room and then they all sat down. And then when he got up to leave, they all stood up again as this external way of showing extreme reverence. And there, and there was one quote from one female student that said, I was in the same breath area as someone who interacts with God and it and that scares the shit out of me because I, I I have felt like you know I've been in those positions I've been in those shoes I know what that's like to stand up when a general authority comes in and then stand like it, it it's this power dynamic that's so destructive and it's so it, it's it it eats at my soul actually because especially when you listen to a lot of Esther Hicks and she says over and over and over again I'm just I'm just a person. I'm nothing special. You know, I'm just, I'm just this individual. But the thing is, is I, there's no way in hell she doesn't know that she's shifting the power dynamic in her favor. There's no possible way. She knows that she's a cult personality. She knows that she's got followers and cultists and all this. She knows that, but she's still purporting this. I'm humble. I'm just one of you. All you guys can do this too. And it really alarms me that people, you know, they spend hard-earned money to go to these workshops and stuff like that to try to get in the hot seat. To what? To what? Talk to an individual? Do you think that there's a possibility that some of the information that she has out there helps people? Oh, absolutely. I have no doubt about that. So yeah. that's what draws them. Well, but, but the thing is, is how different is her information from hundreds or thousands of others? It's not. Well, the thing is, is it's the marketing. It's, it's how she, and it's also that she's putting herself in a position where she does create this power. Hey, Christy, she creates this power dynamic that I have to believe is intentional because it's, she really truly is financially motivated. She has to be. I mean, she, I was listening to one today where she, she used this anecdotal story that was so alarming. She didn't, I don't think she realized how elitist it was where she's like, so we were, Jerry and I were sitting in our house and she was like trying to relate to somebody that was asking this question. I don't remember what the question was. She's like, yeah. So Jerry and I were sitting in our house and we're looking out amongst our estate and the view was blocked by our neighbor's big tree, this big gargantuan tree. And it was like, you know, that's just, that's just disappointing. Our view is obstructed by this tree. Jerry, why don't you go down and ask them 
if they'll remove that tree or cut it down or something like that. So he goes down, he says to the neighbor, Hey, will you please remove this tree? We'll even pay for it to be taken down. And you know what? We'll even pay to have your yard landscaped as just a nice gesture. Like you're doing this for us. And the, and the course the neighbor's like, no. And then what happens? The law of attraction. So like a year or two later, the tree falls down and hits their house or something like that. And so then the neighbor comes up to Jerry. <laughs> So then, so then Jerry, you know, Jerry, you know why Tom? Why is that? Because some Mormon missionaries came by and put some garments on it. Oh, that's that why. Okay. Yeah, they 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 tried to bless the tree with consecrated oil, and it was struck but they by lightning. Yeah, and they accidentally dusted their feet when they walked away. Right? The yeah. Yeah. See. So then, so then the story is the neighbor comes up to Jerry and Esther and says, "Hey, is that deal still on the table?" of you removing the tree and then landscaping our yard. And they were so charitable and they were just in the right mind frame. They're like, of course the, t- the deal is still up. Yes, of course we'll, st- we'll pay for the tree removal. We'll, what we'll help you repair it. And Jeez, we'll, and they are and just ripping people off. That's, right not, left, what, that's not what I'm saying. Dang. What, that's what not total what I'm assholes. saying. Jeez, they are, they are all about the money. Greedy oh blood suckers. But that, but she even says, yeah, you, the removal of the tree was like ten thousand dollars, but it was it was no skin off our back to help them. It, yeah. it, this was our privilege yeah. to help them, you know, because we're we we were like, oh, you know what? And then once the tree was gone, we look out to our nice new view, and their yard is perfectly landscaped now, and just everything was, it was just it was so much better. It was, and they're, they're grateful. We're grateful. Everybody's grateful. The whole world just got elevated. Except for you. <laughs> Except for Tom Perry. This elitist bullshit. Like, really? Go ahead. Oh, try what's, to make what's, me grateful. I dare you. How, how, would it, dare how would it be to be able to go to your neighbor and say, uh, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll landscape your yard because it's obstructing our view from our estate. Oh yeah. That's cool. That nice job from bringing yourself down from your elitist perspective, Esther. Oh, for crying out loud. Uh, it was so, I mean, it's, it's so belittling. I cannot believe she thinks I'm going to share this story and talk to these, talk to these people. They'll totally get what I'm saying from their multi-million dollar estate. You know, it's so, it sucks so much when you look out to your, your view and it's obstructed by a tree. Am I right? Everybody? Am I right? Yeah. Right. Well, it sucks. Tom, you're making you're making a lot of assumptions about who her audience is. Uh-huh. Like, I've I've heard people that are on the hot seat that are millionaires. Like, we, oh, we I don't doubt it. This, this morning, that was like some guy who would want to. Was it? He, he was like a dance choreographer for Michael Jackson and Prince, and then he went on to be on a TV show show for five years, and you know, like it's highly successful guy. That. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So I mean, like, so I don't disagree, yeah. but, but I don't disagree. But are you saying that that's the majority or the norm? No, I'm saying that you are talking out of your ass. I'm saying that you <laughs> are focused on this, like you're so hell bent determined that Esther Hicks, this is confirmation bias, that Esther Hicks is duping people, that she's only in it for the money. Uh, well, you're, you're, you are cherry picking, even though you don't think that you cherry pick, you're cherry picking the things that support that bias and you're ignoring the things that discount it. 
Okay, well, let me clarify something. I actually don't think that she is only in it for the money. I think, I think the money is one of the greatest factors that got her going in all this. But I think she's in a position now where I think she feels like she is doing good. I mean, what, what she needs, to, in, instead of her 12 million, she needs 15 or whatever. I don't think that's where her motivation is now. I actually think she really, truly believes she's helping people, which is one of the reasons why there's so much of the free audio and video that she provides out there. I, that's what I actually think. I but do too. I do think that she she also thinks that she's genuinely helping people. I think that she also genuinely enjoys creating what she creates, and she just gets the biggest thrill out of doing it. Sure, the, the way absolutely. that Christy does when she stands up on stage to do her comedy. <laughs> right, Christy. You know what's funny is I'm yeah I'm coming into this conversation and I'm like more like Tom was last week. Well, kind of now is yeah. I'm like a lot more critical. Isn't that interesting? The more yeah. I hear of her. Because now I've become a little cynic in certain areas, but yeah. It's good I, to have you, Christy. So good to have uh, you. Huh? So good to have you on, on this side. <laughs> I could use some You're reinforcement. Like, Welcome to the dark side. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, but I, but I. Have to tell you too, Tom. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, please go I ahead. I have to tell you too that I can see your side of it, especially coming outside of Mormonism. I can see your side of it. I really can. But I, I, there, there's an important piece of the story that I think she mentioned it in the Oprah interview that to me was one of the biggest pieces that fell into the puzzle for me as far as understanding how this all came to be or, or like wh why she's doing what she's doing even currently. She talked about where Jerry and her were financially well off and she, all she did was just chill out and drink and shop that was about it and i even oprah's like wow that'd be nice oprah saying oh that'd be nice but uh what's interesting to me is that at that point i mean so few of us are ever in a privileged position like that you're so financially well off it's like what's the hardest thing that's going to be today is picking what pair of shoes to buy that's a that's a crazy privileged position for her to be in so her and jerry decide that they want to actually help people because they're in this position where it's like what can we actually do that's a value of worth it's for us Tom, pause. oh sorry am i here okay no it's me it's my right. connection sorry about that i forget everybody can hear me <laughs> so they she gets in this position where she starts to read all these books and she starts to figure out things out and and she decides that she's going to meditate and then when she kind of triggers this episode or this experience where she starts to meditate and she experiences what most or a good portion of people experience when you meditate is sort of this outwardly connection where you're almost out of body or that something else is going on or whatever it is. Like everything that she talked about when she was first meditating is like, yeah, I, I've experienced that where, you know, just, different forms of information or thoughts or something like that, that doesn't feel like you start coming through, especially when you're in different types or modes of meditation. Are you saying that this has happened to you, Tom? Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying I, I'm, I don't understand what you're saying. Okay. So if you get into a meditative state, depending on the meditation state, this kind of thing that Esther's talking about has happened to a lot of people. It is right. not unique. Right. 
So for her to talk about like, oh, this is what's going on. This is what I went through. And I was like, oh yeah, that's relatable. I can understand why this was happening. But what she did instead was saying, ah, this is, this is different. This is unique. This is, she personalized it thinking I can actually use this. Well, of course she doesn't really talk about Jerry's influence, which I think Jerry's influence was way more financially motivated than hers was. But that's where it got the bar ball rolling where he started to see well, you're really talented at regurgitating this really good, healthy uh, wisdom out there in this form. We could use this. And so that's what got the ball rolling. And of course, back in the day, Jerry was kind of the, what is it? The, the person who got the channeling started by ringing a bell or something like that. And, and then she would have to go through this meditative state and then she'd kind of alter her voice a little bit. And, and then of course, all through the years, she's developed it into this thing where she just kind of flips. She doesn't really do anything anymore. She just speaks for on behalf of Abraham or whatever. And then she's, she's then, but if you listen to enough of her stuff, she actually speaks as Esther, not realizing that she was actually speaking as Abraham or it's intentional. And she's just kind of mixing it all up anyways, because the truth is, is it's Esther all the way through. There's no Abraham. So, yeah. Have you guys addressed what she said about kids? No, please. What, what about kids? No. Is this in the Oprah interview? Yeah. Okay. I start getting really like, uh, I don't know, like when she talks about, because Oprah asked some really good questions about children, you know, because when she's saying, you know, a lot has to do with what we put out to the universe, like what we offer the universe mm. is kind of like what we get back. And then Oprah was like asking her about the children, you know, what about children who get abused or have things bad that happen like babies and things like that? Are you saying it's their, you know, their aura or whatever she's saying that their vibration or their, the, vibration. their, their desire or something like that, that's inviting yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, could you, you know, explain that? And I don't know if she ever quite did. I think I, I just started thinking like, I tried to do both at, you know, like bad and good of it. Like I, I thought, well, I wondered if children, you know, if you're brought into this world and you're surrounded by, let's say, bad parents who do bad things, I wonder if you get intermixed with that kind of um, vibration and that's why you attract more bad things with like unknowingly, mm -hmm. like you have no control over it. Obviously, children have no control. They don't know what's going on. Sure. You know, but I wonder if we inherit that for a time being because our parents like if you're surrounded by really bad stuff then that's why bad things happen to you that was my me trying to be nice about it and what kind of what kind of bad was, things are you thinking about christy in that well case? it's like you know like if you take my situation um you know being abused right away mm -hmm. starting as a little girl all the way up to you know and i had a lot of you know i mean it it lasted for quite a long time although you know, in my own little life, I was being really successful at school and things like that. So I, I, I was trying to figure out what she meant by that. You know, that children also have that vibration. And I thought, is that because of what's happening to us? Because how would you know that? Well, if, if I recall right, she was actually, that's when Oprah was asking about even the problem of evil. There's all that stuff prior to that coming to light. Esther did a fantastic job deflecting. She didn't answer that question at all because I there's, maybe that's because she I thought she answered it. 
Well, did she? All right. Yeah. Well, help tell tell me what you think she said. <laughs> what 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 I thought is very close to what I I was hearing Christy saying as well. Um, the 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 way that I remember it is that first she said this is a really really difficult thing to talk about because there's so much confusion around it, um, and and you'll have to forgive me if I if I can't separate my own thoughts from what I was hearing from from Esther as I was listening to it. But, but what I was thinking was that far too often when people hear that, that message, that their vibration attracted, you know, like if you've got a predator vibration and you've got a victim vibration and the predator searching around, I think about like a lion in the jungle, like striving around looking for some sign of weakness, some sense of weakness, then it, it gravitates towards that. Um, does that mean that it's the fault of the animal that was weak that, that brought it on and we're blaming them? No, it's just that that's kind of where they are. And, and so she said that the children, even in the womb can start to, they, they feel the emotions of their mothers and they start to form their own sense of themselves and how they are in the world at that stage. And so if, if you have a mother who doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, who's attracted a dominant predator in the first place, then the children that come from that could have that same type of sen sense about themselves until they're old enough to really, you know, get the age of accountability in there. But but for their thoughts to, to form their own sense of self-confidence. So it's not saying that it's the children's fault that they wished for this and they wanted it to happen and that's why, that, why it happened. But that there was a predator that was brought into the, the mix and there's vulnerable people there that are easy prey for it and but even, but even in your that, that was that was what i took away that's what i that's how i thought she right. answered and, and i'll include the clip in the published version of this so that listeners can decide for themselves but that that's what i took away from it fair and, enough but, and, but and, and anything else cammy before tom no okay go ahead um if that's what she said which i i seem to recall that that's that's pretty close to i think what she was saying but the problem is is it's sounding like the mother of, or the parent of the child is the one bringing the situation to light. And it's, and it's, so, well, and it's, that's, it's, that's, the, it's the, 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 the father in this case. I mean, he's the one that's, that's no, doing it. He's, no. It's not, it's not the mother's fault that she. Well, if, was, she, if you go with the law of attraction and, and even, even if what you were restating what she said, you got to keep the children's choice out of it. If the mother is the one that's somehow, unintentionally attracting the predator into the lives and then somehow endangering the children. That's the mother's fault. But see, but, but I don't think, see, I think this is, this is what she says makes it a really difficult conversation is because when you're looking around for someone to assign blame to mm -hmm. and assign fault to, then, then it's a completely different story that you're telling a completely well, different story. And, and I don't think that when she's talking about the law of attraction, she's talking about fault or blame. She is if it's, if it's in a positive way. That's, that's the problem that she has with this law of attraction because if she's saying that if, if you have positive influences and positive things come to you, she has to accept it. She doesn't, though. She's very careful at deflecting how she does this because it, it in return says, well, if, if you're negative, then negative things will happen. But she's, she's careful of how, how she handles that scenario because she keeps wanting to turn it. No, no, if you stay positive, if you, if you stay this way, if you, yeah. you know, that you've used the law of attraction in a positive way, not a negative way. And it's, it's so disingenuous. And it, 
it, it's really problematic because she she has no good answer to the problem of evil and that's why i don't get a really clear answer because if she was very straightforward like she is with the positivity she would just answer it in reverse by saying, oh, well, the reason why is because the children were somehow sending negative vibrations and attracted the predator. And so if you want to assign blame, because if it was positive, if great things happened to the children, they were sending out positive vibes and brought a really good parent in. And that's how it happened. But if it's reversed, then it's, oh, no, no, well, well, no, there's the mom, the, nope, no, there was, okay, it's not the children's fault, right? We got that clear. Okay, it's not the mom's fault either. Um, this is a very difficult thing to say. Yeah, because you don't want to answer it the other way around. Because if you reverse it, then things are really problematic with that stance of law of attraction. Yeah, I think we should be really careful too when we, you know, blame. And I think I understand, Glenn, too, what you're saying about the blame game because they try to, they try to remove that whole blame thing out of the whole vibrations thing. Right. You know, because obviously children aren't to blame for any of right. that because they're born into this world without even you know, it's not their choice to be born. So they're put into this world and you're kind of at the mercy of the parents that are birthing you because what if they're weirdos or what if they're really great? But then you have kids that are raised in beautiful homes with a lot of love and then they get involved in things. You know, it's just weird. Yeah. So it is kind of like a, I don't know. Double know, standard. Well, it goes back to that clip that we talked about last time with the guy who brought up the whole Holocaust all those you know millions of individuals who were in these horrific cir circumstances that they they didn't vibrate themselves into that situation they didn't bring this into themselves and esther you, i mean she has no good answer there is no good answer because we're talking about the problem of evil for crying out loud it all of her message is wonderful and great and can be beneficial to everyone until you flip it until it can, until you get into the negative stuff, then it's like, uh, anyway, so did you see the jazz game the other night? I mean, just, you have to, you have to switch it because you, you can, because if you, yeah, like I said, if you reverse it. I, I, I see that there's, uh, it, it's hard to talk about this, Tom, when, when we keep kind of shifting the target of what we're talking about, oh, yeah, because sure. when, when she's talking about you have, power over your own thoughts to generate certain emotions in your body. And the, the, the more you focus on positive things, the more you're going to feel good. And uh -huh. the more you feel good, the, the, the more good will come to you. It'll just be kind of attracted to you. And it's that confirmation bias thing. It's that if you make up your mind, I'm going to focus on the positive, you're going to start to see the positive. You're going to discount the things that aren't positive. And then, wow, everything looks more positive. And, and you start feeling better as a result of that. Now, sure. when you take that message and you go, okay, well, let's not talk about me. Let's talk about all these victims over here in the Holocaust and, you know, children that are abuse victims and all this stuff. How does this relate to that? Then it's like, I don't know. But that's not what she's talking about. That's not mm -hmm. what she's saying. And you say there's there's not a good answer for it. When I, I really don't want to go back to the, the that, that guy and the one that we listened to before. I'd, I'd like to go and listen to this one about imagination and just kind of go through it and we'll pause it throughout and, and listen to what she's saying and talk about what she's actually saying instead of different things that we're remembering and cherry picking <laughs> to support what, whatever <laughs> position, whatever we're, we're taking away from it. Well, I, I, I also want to mention as far as going back to 
what I believe is one of the many factors and motives behind her. So there's this weird conspiracy around her husband, Jerry's death. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I spent a little time trying to figure out what was going on here. And some of the followers have these weird conspiracy theories going on because they hid his uh, eventual diagnosis of cancer up until he pretty much died. They didn't want to mention that he had cancer. They didn't want to mention that he was actually going through chemotherapy because as one there, well, there's several followers that have mentioned this. Her message is that you can actually vibrate healing. That you can control your body's illnesses and whatever. And so this message gets purported out there. And I think she was consciously aware, and Jerry even, that this message is out there and for them to acknowledge or admit that Jerry has cancer and is going through chemotherapy using Western medicine to try to solve this illness goes against their message. And so they kept it at bay and hidden until it was too late until he was gone. And that's when they actually don't even mention the word chemotherapy or cancer until like (laughs) even afterwards. I mean, that's, that's deeply, suspicious and problematic to me it's like you're not being transparent you're not being upfront because if there's if you are aware that there's a message that you're purporting that maybe these good vibrations can even physically affect you and heal you that's a problem that's that's charlatanism right there that's that's where i get that's one of the biggest red flags that i could find that's a good point though in in a lot of ways because yeah, if you're if you're preaching that and you think that people have control over that, I look at my sister who died of cancer and and, and she was probably one of the most positive, you know, strong people I knew and, and would have never wanted any of that, you know. But I, I do wonder, it's just interesting. You wonder how much really control you have over your life and the sicknesses that come into the world and how much power you truly do have or don't have over that. It's an interesting topic. Well, and the the really weird thing for me is that there, I mean, we're talk, if we go back to placebo or nocebo or whatever it is, that if, if you can use a form of optimism bias, or if you use the positivity, you can actually affect uh, physical changes in your body yeah. in, a, in a positive way, not just your mood, but you can actually cause things to happen. That's, that's been proven. But I think where that message needs to be clearly and distinctly defined is when it comes to limits, like cancer for crying out loud. Now, there's, there's, <laughs> I mean, you, have, you cannot just lead with the message by saying you can think yourself better and then end that sentence. That's deeply, deeply problematic for me because now what you're doing is you're, you're planting these seeds of thought for people. It's like, well, I don't, I mean, the doctor said I have cancer, but if I just stay optimistic and I keep going to these workshops or whatever, I'll be fine. And if I keep staying positive, I'll, I'll be all right. Cause that's the message. No, that's not what should be. That's, that's why I feel like, yeah. All right. I think I've said my point there. <laughs> Can I say something about that? Please, please, I've please. I've actually listened to quite a, 
quite a few of the Abraham episodes um, on YouTube that are free. And I have heard quite a few of them where people get up and they're sick or they've had cancer or whatever. And she point blank has told them to use Western medicine and to use this part of the law of attraction. She made it a point to say, yes, always use what the doctors have available to you. And also, you know, try not to talk about cancer. Try not to, and I've heard this from Wayne Dyer too, who also about Try not to dot, try not to talk about cancer. Try not to discuss it because that um, they just, especially Wayne Dyer, he felt like if he kept talking about it, that that's putting out the vibration that he has cancer more and more and more stronger and stronger. That sense of fear and that sense of hopelessness and that sense of doom. But you know, like, I don't know. I, 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 I see your point, Tom. I, I know where you are with it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Um, can, can we can we listen to this video and, and pause it and talk about it as we go through? Well, which video are you pulling up here? I'll do it. Okay. I'll start share the screen here. This is this is the the one that I sent out last week. Abraham. Great to be in front of you again. I'm somewhat prepared. Can you hear it okay? Though I'm never really prepared. Yeah, I can. Okay. Hello. <laughs> I, I got my notes. I started to feel or imagine the vibrational harmony by just coming here and observe people and places align on our trip here to see you again. Was that my imagination or was there some sort of energy taking place when? Well, that All right. So, so what, what question did he just ask? Do you understand you even what he's asking? Wavelength? Yeah, he, he's, he's saying, um, I've seen all these synchronicities line up that like, oh, I needed to go here and then boom, all of a sudden there was this thing and it looked like things were lining up so that I could be here. That's basically what he's saying. And so he's asking, was that real or is that just my imagination? Okay. All right. <laughs> That's an interesting question, and we are so glad you put it into those ridiculous words. Thank you. <laughs> because everything we're talking about, in other words, we're not asking you to face the reality. We're asking you to use your imagination. We're asking you to contour your thoughts in order to produce feelings. So now All right. What did she just say, Tom? She kind of used, uh, I don't want to say self-deprecating humor. But when she said, the, you know, you use these ridiculous words, I think it was a way of sort of uh, bringing some levity to the question. Okay. And what did she say after that levity was brought in? Uh, I think it was all part of it. What do you mean? That... She said, we're not, we're not asking you to focus on reality. Oh, yeah. We're, we're asking you to use your imagination to contour your thoughts, to produce certain emotions. Okay. Now you're saying to us, I started to feel some things and was I just making it up? And we said, who cares? That's really the point of all of this. How do you sort out a reality from all of this anyway? Somebody has to focus it into being, it might as well be you. What snatched my attention on it was that 
Hang on. I can tell you're having a real hard time with this, Tom. Because she's, she says so much gibberish. And it, it's like she's trying to sort of bring levity into the conversation by being funny and like, <laughs> isn't this funny? But she's also trying to make him feel more at ease. Um, I don't know, dude. Like, and it also really bothers me that he comes to this conversation with the pi- power dynamic already in play. He, yeah. he comes to her as, will you please validate my feelings and my experiences by bringing me here, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, she's going to say, oh, let's, let, let me try to bring some levity into this and kind of bring the power dynamic a little bit closer. And instead of it being like this, he, she's going to be like, okay, you know, I, I, you know it's, it's re- these ridiculous questions or these ridiculous words that you use. It just feels so demeaning to me. Anyway. I did. I was uncomfortable with his. Um, he almost seemed like he was in not in awe, but it's like he was showing this ultimate, almost like bowing down to deference. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, like wow, you know, thank you so much, you know, for taking. Because he's my- in the heights. He's in the hot seat. This is a privileged just, position. Yeah, it just it made me a little uncomfortable. I didn't like that he was so, uh, not kind, but so like just you know, not worthy. Humble. Right. Yeah. That's how I took it. And I, I don't know if maybe I'm starting to get critical. (laughs) (laughs) Tom's rubbing off on me. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm still stuck on how you think that this is gibberish, Tom, and cause it makes perfect sense to me. I know what she's saying. Well, okay. Hang on. What, what I, I, the word gibberish probably is a demeaning thing in, in a lot of ways for what I'm saying that she says, or even when she channels. And, and I, don't, I don't think I did a very good job. I, I do think that she, what she says is helpful and valuable to a lot of people. But the thing is, is when I know now that she's essentially – taking all this other self-help stuff, all this other beneficial things, this positivity, law of attraction, all this, all this stuff that's been in her head and she just regurgitates it and reformats it and repackages it and sends it out in these weird, weird ways. I call that gibberish <laughs> because that's why it's like she, she has all this, you know, bookshelves and bookshelves of information that's very valuable. And then she distills it down through this, you know, very problematic uh, packaging. And that's, that's why I use the word gibberish. So that's probably not the most appropriate word, but yeah. Okay. I get your CDs and I listen to them almost every day, if, if not every day. And I felt like, well, I can listen to the CDs from uh, the workshop. And my loving wife, she says, come on, we're going. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'll go ahead and go. Well, it's interesting that we had the conversation about the lions and the horse right before this conversation. So we accept that we're the horse for you today. (laughs) That 
you got dragged here kicking and screaming to some extent. And that really is the point that it's a very powerful conversation that we're having because in a world where you are like most humans, accustomed to action, action makes up your life. If you don't factor in energy flow, then you don't understand anything that's happening with you, you see. And now this is a sophisticated conversation that we're having about energy flow and about creating your own reality and about turning thoughts to things and about managing your energy and we want you to be at the point that Esther wants to be at too she's not there yet where she doesn't take action unless the energy is supporting it unless there's something that feels really strong she's not doing it she doesn't want to do things to please others she doesn't want to do things because somebody else thinks that she should do them she wants to do them because they are a vibrational match to the momentum that she's got going and she's being inspired from non-physical to timing and placement and experience that's going to be the optimal experience she's beginning she's been doing it for quite a while but she really means it these days of calling herself a vibrational snob meaning that she wants to make sure that the energy is flowing before she takes the action because if the energy isn't really flowing then the action is puny and paltry and minuscule in comparison and once you've lived the high-flying life of being in that sweet spot where you're translating thoughts to things thoughts to things thoughts to things once you do that you cannot go back you see all right what what the hell was that uh, well it was a lot of information where she starts to essentially take the reins of the question that he asked and she's shifting it into this energy flow thing starts to describe herself uh a very third person-y that was good job esther but but what is like what is she saying to him what is she communicating to him he he has said he said my wife he basically said my wife dragged me to this thing but he's a huge huge fan listens to her cds every day sure yeah mm -hmm. and but but what she's responding to is the fact that he didn't really want to be there, but he mm -hmm. got called up to be in the hot seat anyway. And so she's talking about what, why are you doing things for other people? You know, you should do things that you want to do that make you happy. And she's talking about energy flow. She's talking about that. That's, that's the thoughts. That's the feelings that make you happy. And she says, if, if you're doing something for somebody else, you might get a little bit of a payoff on it, but it's not going to be the same as if you're doing what you want to do and what makes you really happy. And she said, when, when you're used to taking your positive thoughts and turning them into positive things, positive thoughts to positive things and making like, she's talking about the act of creation. Like you get really inspired to do something and you create from it. Then when somebody else asks you to do something that you don't really want to do, it sucks and you go back in it. So that she, she's describing that, but she's using this language about energy and physical because she's building up. She's, she's, she's setting this up saying, I want you to recognize that you are in control of what you do, you're in control of what you think, you're in control of how you feel. And so why not take that and use it to create the most magnificent life for yourself? It's, it's really, really interesting to hear what you take from that to me. And I, I'm, it makes me wonder whether I'm, obviously I, I come from a little more jaded perspective so i'm when i'm listening to it and i'm using my confirmation bias yeah i'm pulling <laughs> i'm pulling more of a i'm i'm dissecting the what i perceive what she's trying to get out of it or what what sort of tools that she's using yeah 
Well, and, and that, that's why I like having these conversations with you, Tom, because when we match my confirmation bias <laughs> against your confirmation bias, we, so we, we get a, a more full of picture of it, you know, yeah. like, because, <laughs> because my confirmation bias is that this stuff's really valuable and I want to learn more about it. I'm really curious to hear what this is and to, to test it and to see if it can work, you know, if, if it can help me feel better. Because God knows I'd love to feel better. <laughs> you know? like yeah. I've been through some shit and I could focus on the shit part of the shit or I could focus on the other parts of it that are actually, things are getting really, really nice. Yeah, well, I, I would only say there's so many ways that you can create or instill that optimism bias <laughs> that she's essentially using here and just get a different form of packaging or a delivery system. That's but, all but, I would say. But, but what she would say is, I, if, if you don't like my packaging, if you don't like this delivery system, then this isn't for you. Yeah. And, and you know, go someplace else that is, right. more, is more comfortable to you. That's yep. where you should be. But for the people who are interested in this and feel really good and motivated by it, then this is where you want to be. You know, right, and, and she continues to charge two fifty a pop. It's just free. It's frustrating to me that she she says that on one hand, but then her actions show the other. Wait, what is oh. the what what? But what what does the two fifty a pop? How is that bad? It it's like it's like seeing part of the motivation of what she's doing. I mean, if if she were to hold free seminars, webinars, and just allow people in for free mm -hmm. or, even, or even compensate them yeah. for coming, then it, to it, me, and, and the compensate actions, them for coming. Yeah, so, sure. so first of all, this is what she's doing with her time. She needs to be compensated for it somehow. And if she's super, she? super popular, yes, of course she does. Why? If, if she's, <laughs> why? What, why should people be compensated for things that they do? If you provide value to other people, Tom, if she's a multimillionaire, she's not doing it to make money to live. She's not doing it now. She's already, she's already in a very, very, very financially stable position. Uh -huh. She's not, she's just adding to this income that she already has. Okay. Incredible wealth for. And what does she do with that, that wealth and that income? Well, she lives in an estate and she's landscaping her neighbor's yards, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Charity? see, I, I see that you're coming from a very judgmental place about like, like, like this whole like wealth inequality thing. And there isn't anything that I've seen in her that makes me concerned about what she's doing with money or that she's exploiting people mm. and taking advantage of them. You know, like the, the, the company that I used to work for, Cook Medical, I, I was going to tell the story when you were talking about how Esther and Jerry started. He, he, he was this entrepreneur that dipped his toe into all kinds of things. Like the thing that he did right before he started making medical devices was naked lady decals on shot glasses. You know, he was like trying to do all different things. And he, he realized that, Oh, doctors have this minimally invasive procedure that no one's making equipment for. I can make equipment for it. And he started doing it out of the second bedroom of his apartment and it grew into a multi-million dollar corporation. Are, are we going to say, Oh, that's bad no. that he did that? No, because he's not pretending to be a psychic. And that's, you know, that's the thing that, that bothers you. But I can tell you, they are charging way more than it costs to, to make it. And the way that the pricing on all this stuff in the medical industry, you know, like there's all kinds of like crazy markups and things that, that get oh, sold sure. to us in just like standard everyday practice that people are making a killing on. But we just go along with it because it's normal. This thing comes along and it doesn't seem normal. And we go, ooh, that she's duping them. And, you know, like, 
you've got you've got good reason to be suspicious, you know, from the the Mormon background and feeling manipulated and feeling lied to. I mean, of course, but but when it gets in the way of actually hearing the message and being able to apply it in your life, that's where I have some concerns. But <laughs> I'm not going to focus on the concerns. But so um, so do you so do you not think that she's financially motivated? in a lot of this so when when you're when you're very popular and you have a big following and mm -hmm. you have a venue that only holds 300 people mm -hmm. you've got to set a price point that's going to kind of regulate that that there's only a certain number of people that will be able to come because if you made it free and there were like thousands and thousands of people who descended on this place they mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to get in they wouldn't you know it'd just be chaos so mm -hmm. you've got to have some kind of a price point there now what does she do with her money does she donate to the charity does she just hoard it all does she use it does she you know she, know. Def she definitely lives know. a lavish she pay taxes lifestyle. on it does she hide it in offshore accounts like most of our politicians like maybe. i don't know yeah maybe oh, Trump. Oh, right <laughs> you know but th there's there's all kinds of shit and harm and things like that out there that we can be worried about but to, to me it's like the the really important part that i found as i've listened to abraham hicks and gone through this very similar you know, suspicions and concerns that, that you're expressing, but it's, it's how can I take some things from this and apply it in my life and see if it works and, and using things like Dr. David Burns feeling good as a standard against, against which to measure her claims and go, Oh, this guy is actually saying the same thing about thoughts and emotions as she's saying this. Yeah. yeah. And he's accredited and he's not saying he's channeling anyone. He's not. Yeah. So it's in the delivery too. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I think a lot has to do with the universal truth of like, I think it's a universal thing that if you, uh, it's what you focus on. Yeah. If, if you just make it really simple, you know, it's the things that you focus on in life, you know, and, and I think bad's going to happen to people. I think we live in an environment where people get sick and they get cancers. I know fault are their own. I really don't think, um, <clears throat> my personal belief is I don't think you personally do, you know, bring it on yourself. However, there are some cases, you know, like, let's just take my sister and my brother who both died early deaths, you know, I mean, they had a pretty stressful life, mm -hmm. if you think about it. So that could be a factor as well, because you start, you know, it's the mind-body thing. But, you know, they would have never brought that on purposely but they lived a pretty stressful life that was not you know very yeah. fulfilling so another part of the abraham message that we really haven't even talked about is like i've heard her say this many many times mm -hmm. that that people are way too worried about death that death isn't bad death is actually really wonderful because from her perspective the way that she talks about death you you, you drop all resistance and you go right back into pure positive energy that you were before you were born. And with that comes so much peace and like all of the experiences that you had in your life, you still retain all of that personality, all of that stuff you still retain. Um, and you're not, you're not gone. And, and even the experience of death in most cases, we look at things and go, Oh, that's horrible. She said the actual experience of it isn't. And when you hear people talk about near-death experiences, you go, oh, you know, you, you, can, you can place your judgment where you think that's bullshit or not. But, but she's saying we start with this bias. And if, again, we're going back to 
uh, confirmation bias that death is a horrible thing and that keeping people alive is the standard of success. You know, I mean, everybody's going to fail because everybody's going to die at some point in some way. Um, you know, but, but so like the death isn't really that bad of a thing. And that in itself is quite a liberating way to view life, to, to, to rid yourself of that fear of death. Yeah. But it's, I mean, she doesn't know. No one knows. She, I mean, she's, pull, she's pulling that information clear out of her ass too. Right. So, so then you've got a choice. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and knowing what you know from Dr. David Burns, who is accredited, you can focus your unknowing and your uncertainty on the horrific side of it, or you could choose to focus it on oh, that's the positive either, side that, of it. No, that's either or thinking, man. I think, or absolutist thinking. Yeah, because why can't you just accept that you don't know? And then just move forward. You you can, but but what? Are, are, so are you you're you're doing it completely without judgment? Uh, because that's not what you're doing. What do you mean without judgment? Like I, I'm not judging whether there's something beyond this life or not. I'm just, I just no. It's not. It's, it's it's judging how horrible death is. Oh, judging how horrible death is. If you say that death is horrible, you're not neutral. You're on the negative side of it because of the horrible part of it. Well, if you just say, yeah, death is death. I don't care. Well, I do subscribe to what she's saying that death is death. I mean, the experience of death can be horrible or it can be as peaceful as anything. And you won't even know what happened. Fine. But we're, we're talking about, you know, for you some don't know people, that. for some people that you've do never die, died. No, but other people have died very, very tragic and very, very long and suffering and painful deaths. And that's, true but then there's some people that have died real quickly and peacefully and blah 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 so yeah it's focusing on how you die i don't think is going to be necessarily helpful but i guess what you're saying is like death itself like what happens what after if you what die? if like well what what if what if the death what if the long grueling death process there's some kind of disassociative thing that happens where the consciousness kind of separates and like the body's still like writhing in pain and all this stuff, but there's, there's no awareness of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually not from that perspective of, of consciousness, the horrible contracted thing that it looks like from the outside. Is, is that a possibility? That's as much of a possibility as, you know, we end up playing harps on clouds or that we can, or we're in eternal bliss or whatever it is, or, or, Christy, you know do, do you have any experience that's similar to I that? I do. I have uh -huh. a lot of experience with that. It, it's interesting because um, with my mom and taking care of her those several weeks before she died and then going through the entire process with her, <clears throat> they even tell you, especially in hospice, because so many nurses and doctors who work in hospice have had really spiritual experiences with their patients because it turns out to be um, where towards the end, they are so removed mentally uh, from this life. And it's almost like they're going there and they're coming here and they go into this, you know, and then they're able to see people that have passed before them that come to get them. And for my mother, it became this beautiful spiritual experience and you could feel it. I mean, we could feel people in that room and not see them. And yet my mother's sitting there talking to them. 
but we knew just by the look on her face and there were certain signs that she wasn't really going to be with us that much longer and that she had actually made peace with where she was going because it is a process and they slowly let go of the physical body and realize that there is something more beautiful on the other side. Mm. So to see them struggle with it, right, physically, and then there's like this acceptance of what's happening because they can't stop it and they become more attached to the other side. And then there's finally this separation. But to actually, you know, witness it is an incredible experience because to me, I don't fear death anymore, you know? And after, you know, like I told you before, when my, my sister died and seeing her right before she passed was difficult, but it was beautiful because we had a prayer with her and my brother Kim told her, look, you need to go, you know, your body's done and mom and Kevin are waiting for you. So when you're ready, let it go, sis, you know? And I'll tell you something funny that happened. I, I'm in Los Angeles, bitches. But anyway, so I flew into Los Angeles uh, a couple of days ago. Can you guys still see me? Okay, yeah. there we go. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I flew into LA, um, or actually into Burbank from Salt Lake City. And so the flights are way different, right? It's a smaller plane. And we had a lot of turbulence. And it was bad. I mean, the plane was all over the place and people were like screaming and this girl next to me was like losing her shit. And I just looked at her and I'm like, honey, you need Jesus. You know, like, what is the problem? <laughs> like she was so fearful of like dying on the plane. And I was just like, wow, I'm so like, I don't know if it's just because I've faced it and know that it's going to be beautiful and it's not some horrendous, horrible thing that it's just like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. But I don't know. That's just something funny that happened a couple days ago. That's cool. Well, I, I'm happy to wrap this conversation up. And, you know, Tom, we never have to talk about Abraham Hicks ever, ever again. <laughs> you know, it's... What if, like, I'm just, what if I'm just starting to get my itch scratched? Well, but, but, but here's the thing, because I've, I've never wanted to make these discussions about, like, Abraham Hicks. I, I want to read something for you. This comes from a, a website called infantsonthrones.com under the about page. It says, uh, Infants on Thrones released its first episode in August 2012. It's an entertaining podcast about self-awareness and discovery following a Mormon faith transition. What, why is it that I'm interested in things like Abraham Hicks and you know, like all of these different things, we talk about sapiens, we, we, hmm. you know, we just bring in so many different outside things because it's just something to reflect our own ideas against. Mm -hmm. and, and, and as we do that, it becomes this challenge, this contrast, this resistance that to me is this pro process of self-awareness and discovery. Here's something, it doesn't really matter what it is. What do you think about it? What do you feel about it? Because what we're doing is we're projecting ourselves onto this thing. So we learn more about ourselves and more about each other by the way that we respond to things than anything else. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I, I just have so much fun doing that. Well, I, I mostly agree with everything you said, except for it doesn't really matter what it is or where it To me, from. I said it doesn't really matter to me what it is. So I'll, I'll add it to me. Fair enough. And it, just as long as I mentioned that I get, maybe this is just me. I, 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 like I, I wouldn't to, be comfortable watching child pornography. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, set, I'll add that. So maybe Thank not. A, so you're right. You. So, so there are, there are, I have Thank some limits. Thank you. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. No, for me, it does matter where it comes from. 
And my critical mind and my critical thinking doesn't exactly have an on and off switch that maybe yours does. Or, okay, okay, but Tom. or it's the confirmation bias thing that you're using. I'm not sure. Because, because to me, it's, it's problematic for several reasons. And I, I'm probably going to get into redundancy here. But when I ingest Esther Hicks' stuff, I have to know what's going on because maybe it's just because I know how involved I can get. Like I can actually foresee myself becoming several of these individuals who follow her around and buy all her crap and get really wrapped up and swamped into this follower lifestyle. I could totally see myself being, being one of those people. So one one of the skill sets I had to really instill in my head, there's no turning back from this now, is that I have to watch for the red flags, watch for the off turns, watch for the road construction. I have to make sure that I'm on a path where that I don't get lost down the road. Because if I get lost down the road, then then you know then I'm back in the Mormon church thinking, well, how did I get back here again? Yeah. So <laughs> that's it. So, so what, what, but what I said, Tom, was that I like to look at things and it doesn't really matter what thing that is we're looking at because the looking at the thing, responding mm-hmm. to the thing t- teaches me more ab- ab- about myself. Where do I have resistance in this thing? Where do I have acceptance in this thing? And you're, you're doing that as you're talking about. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter to you where things originate, but if we're looking at Esther Hicks, we're looking at sapiens if we're looking at dr david burns you're going to examine something you're going to have a response to it you're going to express that response and we can look at the expression of that response as a projection of who you are and how you feel about things and so it doesn't really matter what that thing is that you're encountering that you're responding to you are revealing bits and pieces of yourself that's what i meant when i said it doesn't matter like okay. you're, you're always doing that in any exchange that you have, that you come with any person, any thought, any idea, anything like that. And, and that's an interesting way of looking at things for me. And I will tell you, for Cammie's birthday a couple of weeks ago, I bought tickets for Abraham Hicks when she comes to Phoenix God. in December. We're going. Wow. The big reveal. We're going. There we go. And I'm getting up in that hot seat and I'm going to say, I got this friend named Tom Perry and he doesn't believe in you. Can you give him something to believe in you? We don't believe go, in ourselves either. Just going to say, like, I can, I could channel when he her. was 14 years old and he was masturbating to pictures of Barney and you're going to go, wow, I never told anybody that I masturbated to pictures of Barney. And then you'll know. Then I'll know. Then you'll know. Who's Barney? The big purple dinosaur. <laughs> You know, you know, you, I, I, we know it was really Oscar the Grouch and Eeyore. Eeyore. <laughs> Negative Nancy. Wah, wah. Right. That, that's, 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 what, that's why I constantly feel like the wet blanket in these conversations. The parade pooper. It's like, uh, can we just talk about the positivity that she talks about? Tom, yeah. why do you have to come in here and try to debunk all this cool stuff? Well, I, I, I mean, this 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 particular episode uh, um you know like it's a little 14 minute clip i thought there's so much good stuff in it i, I don't want to i don't want to torture you by forcing you to listen to it and stopping it every minute and unpacking it I, here's how i see it that that seems 
tiring to me. But I, 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 I love the message. I love the message about this is about the way that you think and focus your thoughts on the things that you want. And don't focus on the things that are between where you are and what you want. Think about what you already have that's in line with what you want. It's and so how that brings you happiness and how that brings you joy. Focusing and as you do that, appreciation. Yeah, you know, appreciation. Yeah. You know what's weird is like I agree with all that and and I'm really glad that you're getting that out of the message that she says. I, I don't necessarily get it, but since I finished David Burns' book, yeah. I, I kind of feel a little more I don't know, frustrated that why can't we pull excerpts from his book that essentially say the exact same thing? Send me the timestamps and I'll do it. No, no, no. But I'm saying like, if you had the same enthusiasm, like, oh, Tom, if you read this book, like, oh, it changed, like changed my whole outlook, my positivity and whatever. It's like, and and, and I'm going to buy tickets to see David Burns this weekend. And it's like, oh, really? That's freaking cool, dude. Because the guy is like pro science. He's, he's accredited. He's a great guy. Again, we're just squabbling over packaging. I did like four or five episodes last year about cognitive distortions. Yeah, right. And you were on them. And I used clips, not from David Byrne's book, but from Coddling of the American Mind, where, right. where uh, Jonathan Haidt talked. And I was all on board. Yeah. So we've mm-hmm. done it. We did yeah. that. And now we're seeing that message now, in another place that's a really weird place. Now we took a left turn and, and, and our cars pulled over because we've got two flat tires. And, and yet that message still seems valid because it's being validated by another <laughs> weird group. And, and people... Are, who are attracted to that kind of weirdness and get that message are seeing a positive impact in their lives that makes them want to come back and keep doing more and makes them say, you know, I like this so much that I'm willing to pay $250 to go and see you and have a yeah. conversation. Even spend the $250 I don't actually have. I'll spend that much money. And this, this is to the bigger point. What if there was a large percentage of people that follow her that I would dare say become brainwashed and run themselves into financial ruin. Do you oh find, would you what, find it problematic then? What if there's an entire country that supports a, a medical system that privatizes um, and profits from people's continued suffering and pain instead of collectively saying, you know what, we want our government to take care of our health care. What if that I mean, there's all kinds of like what ifs where you could see the power of group think that's creating the world that we live in. What if? What, what if you had a bunch of people that were brainwashed to think that when they go to the movies and they see this little cartoon on the screen that they've got to go and pay $3 for a, for a Coke? Oh, these are, it's these really are just gonna... terrible analogies, bro. <laughs> terrible. Why? Because if you were to say, what if, there was a, what if there was a guy who started a religion and then put a bunch of problematic <laughs> doctrines in it, and then later millions of people joined it, and there was a lot of disenfranchised and even sexist teachings and anti-LGBT doctrines being doubled down in 2019, what if? What if? they tell you to wear magical underwear where you're sporting the G's all day? Yeah. What if? What if? I think we've become very critical as ex-Mormons that we do not want to put so much stock into a human being ever again. Is that, is that so bad? No, and I, th- I agree 100% with that because I'm very, yeah, I, I hate, and this sounds weird and maybe it's a psyche thing with me, 
but I get really uncomfortable when human beings praise. Everybody praises the same human being, like they're almost like in so much awe. That, and it just bugs me to no end. Yeah, at the, be at the beginning of this conversation, I mentioned that when President Nelson did that recent wow. devotion or whatever, everybody in the, in the auditorium stood up when he came in and then they stood up when he got up to leave or whatever. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a form of man worship or yeah. it's this, again, it goes back to this power dynamic thing. And I know we've talked at length about how Esther Hicks, especially when she comes down, let me see your face. Remove your hat. I, like she's trying to bring the power dynamic that she knows exists, that she perpetuates. You know, and I'm with Christy. Like quit perpetuating this. I'm superior. You're inferior. But hey, well, while we're in the same room, I'm going to shift the power dynamic down to a little more like this rather than an unreachable level. Ugh. I would be uncomfortable if somebody came to me that respectful to the point where it was like, God, Christy, you know, I'm just not worthy to be in your presence. And could you please, you know, give me some. Good you sign my chest with your autograph. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I'm with you because once I think that's one of the really cool things that someone who goes through a faith crisis learns is that, when you start to see everything is man-made and every we're all just people we're all just flawed human beings um it's awesome because then it's like I, you, you can see <laughs> i'm not going to stand up for some old white guy who's going to walk into a building why am i going to stand yeah, up for him <laughs> right. that's, just, a, that's just an old guy with it's got grandkids great grandkids i mean so is my grandpa <laughs> all right uh, i think i want to go get in the hot tub <laughs> that sounds well, good that just man. sounds exciting yeah <laughs> yeah all right thank you guys for for coming on oh thank you sorry sorry, I, was late. sorry oh, I, was, right. I hope it wasn't too painful it's <laughs> all right nice all to right. meet you cammy because of how she feels in her life and when you're born as that little baby you're born into an environment where people around you feel a certain way we we see it even as we move about this nation that there are neighborhoods that you can just feel how those people feel and their lives reflected and then we see neighborhoods that you can just feel how those people feel and their lives reflected and so I don't think anybody's saying that you know Abraham says it's and Abraham is the the higher consciousness Abraham, entity that you channel Abraham's the broader perspective Abraham is source energy the the way source energy coming from the source and we all have access to it yes and through a process of meditation I managed to quiet my own resistance enough that my own vibration raised so that I tuned into them well, there are all kinds of things that are happening. People have cancer and people get run over by trucks. We are certainly in agreement with you that there are things out there that are happening that if you give your attention to them, you would feel those emotions of terror or fear. But what we're suggesting is that if you are able to not just look around and take what's happening as it's given to you. So something bad happens, you have a fearful response. Something good happens, you have a joyful response. But instead, you decide 
how you want to tune your responses. So you become a more selective sifter. You don't just look and feel. Instead, you decide how you want to feel and then you look. So now you have control of your vibrational offering, which means now you have control of your point of attraction. Because we're all vibrational offerings. We are all vibrational beings, everything. Is. And you are attracting to yourself the vibrational frequency, the vibrational offering that you are putting out. Every time, no exception. Even if you're four years old. Even if you are one year old, even if you are in your mother's womb. Vibration abounds and you are vi you see what happens you are so this is where this is where we get hung up here because I don't understand and I'm sure many people listening to us don't understand how an innocent child attracts being raped an innocent child attracts being abused an innocent child attracts being kidnapped and butchered the first assumption that makes it hard for you to come around to understanding is the assumption that in order to create you must have language you must be speaking and so if a child is not speaking then they must not be attracting where what is happening is you are attracting as your animals do you even though they do not have language they are communicating in very powerful ways vibrationally the question that you asked when we began, we, we want to come back around to that because it is a good basis for this. People often, when they first hear about law of attraction or that you create your own reality, most are very excited about the idea because they want control. They want control over the bad things and they want to be able to bring in more of the good things. Then, soon after, as they discover that control of their own experience means control of their own thoughts, then they're not so sure about all of that because it's not an easy thing to control one's thought with so much stimulation around. And so that's really what you're speaking to. If there is the responsibility of a parent or a mentor, it would be to teach the child that they have guidance within. And if they are listening to the guidance within, they could not comfortably ever settle on the thoughts that would then attract something unwanted.